Uh, I wish you look at this title today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 13. And I really wanted to share this with you today because it is the start of the new year. And this uh, title today has a little bit to do with not just uh, us individually, but also us corporately as a church body. And we have a lot of guests here today. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, we're so glad you're here. And this does this question does apply to our lives in, as individuals, but it definitely applies to us as a church body, as a community of believers who have come together. And I don't know if you have a church home, but I hope that you'll make Faith Covenant Church your home. We would love that very, very much. But you, know, you think about that question, what next? There's a couple of ways to ask it. You know, uh, it can be asked a little bit of anticipation, like, what next? You know, like a Christmas day, you open the gifts, like, what next? And then there also can be a little bit of cynicism, like, man, what next? You know, kind of like that. And so I want you to think about that question more in terms of the former, not the latter. Like, man, what next? And that's what I want us to be thinking. And that's what I want us to kind of, you know, have our headspace today. Now, how many of you, I'm going to date us here a little bit, but how many of you here remember the cartoon, Saturday morning cartoon, Dudley Do-Right? Oh, hey, quite a few. All right. I used to love Dudley Do-Right back when I was a kid. And uh, I didn't know anything about the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, but I want you to see this picture. They're kind of the stuff of legend. Isn't that an iconic uniform? I mean, that is the best looking uniform. I would sign up for the Mounted Police just to wear that coat and those boots, man. That is a cool, cool uniform. And it really is true. Young men who are eager for adventure and really wanted to kind of have a danger, element of danger in their life would sign up for the uh, Canadian Mounted Police because you go to remote places and you do dangerous things. And one of the greatest legends of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police is the Lost Patrol. Doesn't that sound kind of ominous? The Lost Patrol. Back in the late 1800s, there was gold found in the Yukon Territory, which is in Northwest Canada, very remote. And the Canadian police decided to establish a fort to govern the area, enforce the law, but also to deliver the mail. And on December the 21st, around this time of year of 1910, a patrol of four men left Fort McPherson, kind of on the northern coast there. They're going to go to Dawson City, a distance of 350 miles in the dead of winter. Now, they were led by one of Canada's most celebrated war heroes. His name was Francis Fitzgerald. They took enough supplies for 30 days, but the record for making the distance was 14 days. And he had a goal of breaking that record. So he took enough supplies for 30 days, thinking he'd only need supplies for about 10 or 11. And he was supremely confident. Now, the weather conditions, the moment they set out, the weather conditions got poor. Their guide could not find the path through the mountains, and they got lost. And they encountered some of the local native families. Uh, they're a people group called the Kuchin. And for some reason, they offered to be a guide but they didn't, uh, they didn't take their offer. And they offered to guide them through the mountains, but, but Fitzgerald didn't take the offer. They wandered and wandered, and they tried one trail after another in the dead of winter in the Yukon Territory, and, and there was nothing they could do. Their guide was lost. And on January the 1st, when their new year arrived, the conditions worsened. Huge cold front blew in, strong winds, temperatures averaged 50 degrees below zero. That's Fahrenheit, not Celsius. And on January the 12th, they had nine days of food remaining. 
they were still searching to find their way to Dawson City. And he was determined to reach his goal. Finally, according to records, on January the 18th, he decided it was time to turn back and go to Fort McPherson, but they couldn't even find their way back to Fort McPherson. They were so hopelessly lost. Well, in late February of 1911 now, the new year has come, no one had heard from the team, but they were confident that if anybody could survive this, it would be Francis Fitzgerald. And so another team was dispatched to find them and rescue them. This time they took a Kutchen guide, a native guide, and the rescue patrol found evidence of trouble right away abandoned dog harnesses. They had eaten their dogs. And then on March the 22nd, a month later, the frozen bodies of the four missing men were discovered. They had even gone so far as to eat their bootlaces because they were made of leather. They had been lost for three months. And when they died, they were only 20 miles, less than one day's travel from Fort McPherson. They almost made it home. The rescue patrol took the bodies back to Fort McPherson, and they set out to Dawson City to deliver the mail. And they had a native guide, and they set a new record. They covered the 350 miles in 11 days. Wow. Isn't that an amazing story? I want to ask you this, though. Do you ever feel lost? Do you ever feel like you're just kind of wandering, kind of going in circles, no real sense of purpose? Like, you know, man, what what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? What's my direction in life? And people who don't know where to go, who to turn to, who to trust, or who to put their faith in, and they, they really wonder, like, what's life really all about? But the key in life is to really be able to answer this question, what next? What next? And to know what is next, you have to have the right guide. Francis Fitzgerald had the wrong guide. The team that found him had the right one. You know, King Solomon, in our Old Testament, in our Bible, had wealth beyond measure, and he set out to discover the true meaning and purpose of life, but he had the wrong guide. Look at this scripture up on your, on your screen. The wrong guide, it was himself. He said, I applied my mind to investigate and explore by wisdom all that happens under heaven. And then he says, after he applied his mind, he said, I hated life. Everything is pointless, just wind chasing. And the Bible tells us he had hundreds of women, dozens of palaces, most celebrated entertainers in the world, the best food, the finest wine, Uh, He had anything his heart wanted, and he pursued it all, and he got it, and he wrote it all down, his magnus opus, the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says it all gave him nothing but emptiness. We don't want to wander lost. We have to be able to answer the question, what next? And we must follow the one person who has lived life the way it was meant to be lived. He didn't have the palaces. He didn't have the women. He didn't have the gardens. He didn't have the food and the wine. He had none of those things. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. And he said in Matthew chapter 16, if anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, he must give up all right to himself, take up his cross and follow me. For the man who wants to save his life will lose it, but the man who loses his life for my sake will find it. So Luke Chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, if you would turn there with me for just a moment. The way the book of Luke is written, you're following in the steps of Jesus as he is on a journey. And God has a plan for each of our lives, and we discover God's plan for our lives when we are guided by Jesus. Luke chapter 13, 
I would like for us to start at verse 31. So Jesus is traveling. He's on his way. He's on a journey. And this passage has always been so challenging to me, so I wanted to share it with you today. So at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and they said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. And he replied, go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and I will heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Look at verse 14. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you, gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house has left you desolate, and I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. What is, what's next? You know, what next? Number one, I want you to know this. God's will for your life and mine, God's will for Faith Covenant Church is courage. All right, look at verses 31 and 32. They said, hey, Herod is going to kill you. And notice what Jesus says in reply. Now, the Herod we're talking about here, his name was Herod Antipas. Now, he is not the, he's not the Herod from the Christmas story. This is his son. <clears throat> and you might remember if you've read your biographies of Jesus, the Gospels, this was the Herod that had John the Baptist beheaded. And he had jurisdiction over a region of Israel called Perea. And the Pharisees of this region of Perea, they didn't want Jesus to be around. So they tried to frighten him. They tried to scare him away. And, and, and they said, if you don't leave, you're going to meet the same fate that John the Baptist did. Because the same guy that beheaded John the Baptist, he's in control of our little region right here. And they would have been shocked at Jesus' response. He was far from being frightened. He was actually emboldened by this. He wasn't afraid of danger. Why? Because he knew that his life was indestructible until God's purpose for him was complete. John 7.30 says, One time the crowd tried to seize Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. He says, Go tell that fox. <laughs> You know, Jews didn't like foxes. I think foxes are kind of pretty, you know, those kind of things. But Jews didn't like foxes. They were pests. And, you know, they would dig up their vineyards. They would dig up their crops. They thought of them kind of the way we think about prairie dogs today. And I don't know if you like prairie dogs, but I think they're disgusting. Okay, they're little rodents, all right? But in, in, in Jesus' eyes, Herod was a man without honor. He was a man who was insignificant. He was unworthy of being respected, and he was unworthy of being feared. And Jesus made it clear, my ministry will not come to an end because of someone else, okay? It's in God's control. It's in God's hands, and God is the one who will determine what's going to happen to me. Often it appears, doesn't it, that our lives are unfolding almost by accident or at the whims of someone more powerful. There's a lot of talk these days about the government and the government being so anti-religious, et cetera, et cetera. Life unfolds according to God's purpose and control. God alone controls your future. So what next? Don't worry about threats. Even from governments, your life, this church is in God's hands. Ecclesiastes 9 as I pondered all this in my heart, Solomon said, I wanted to make all this clear. The righteous, the wise, and their works are in God's hand, 
and nobody know, no one knows anything that is ahead of him. The second thing is this. God's will for your life and mine, God's will for this church is resolve. Resolve. Look at verse 32 and 33. He said, I will keep on. I'm driving out demons. I'm healing people. I'm teaching. I'm doing all these things. I will keep on today, tomorrow, and the third day, and I will reach my goal. What do you see there? You see Jesus's relentlessness. He said, I'm going to teach. I'm going to heal. I'm going to set free. And Jesus' singular goal was to do the will of God, no matter what it required of him. And I tell you, that challenges me so much. I read this passage often because it just challenges my heart. I will reach my goal, he says. He knew he must keep doing the will of God until the very moment God had appointed him to die. Yeah, a lot of my friends are retiring right now. I talked to a friend of mine yesterday. He's going to turn 60 this year. And he said, this is my last year. I'm going to retire. And I was like, man, good for you. And if you've retired, good for you. But man, I, I, I have no plans for retirement, all right? I'm going to keep going. I'll be up here like that, you know, old man, you know, up here going, y'all need to repent. You know, I'll be up here doing that someday. Uh, I, know be, you know, I don't know how it's going to be, but uh, as those who come after Jesus, though, we have to have that same kind of resolve that Jesus did. My life verse, Philippians 3.14, look at this up on the screen. Paul said, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. You know, it is so, so important for us individually, but especially corporately to leave the past behind. We have to leave it behind. We have to press forward to what lies ahead, no matter how frightening, no matter how scary, no matter how expensive, no matter the sacrifices necessary, we have to press forward to what lies ahead. You can't cling to the past and run to the future at the same time. It just, life doesn't work like that. And there may be some of you here today, you're still clinging to the past and there's something in your past you're still clinging to. Maybe it was a really great time in your life, but you cannot cling to the past and press on into the future at the same time. Paul says, I know I have a long way to go, but I am single-minded. I am pressing on to the finish. Why? Because there is a heavenly prize ahead, he says. A heavenly prize, by the way, is not getting to heaven. A heavenly prize, like he's talking about, is an eternal reward. It's a compensation for commitment, and it is waiting for you when you press ahead. Revelation chapter 22, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon, and I bring my reward with me, and I will repay each one of you for what you have done. And look at here, Jesus says two different times, almost the same thing, today, tomorrow, and the next day. Did you notice that? Christ did not lay out a literal three-day schedule, today, tomorrow, and the next day. I want to be teaching and healing. That's not what he is saying. It's a very common vernacular of his day, and it means something like this. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going today, tomorrow, and on and on into the future, and nothing's going to stop me. That's kind of what it means. Progress is a sign that Jesus is present in your life. And I just want you to think about this today. Are you making progress? Are you making progress in your life spiritually? You need to be making progress. Progress is a sign of life. Progress is a sign of the presence of Jesus. And we don't get the nitty-gritty details of all that God is doing, but we do have this one responsibility, and that is to trust him in this journey by faith believing that when I take every step he tells me to take, 
that I will have all the grace and all the strength that I need to keep moving forward. Job 17.9 says, the righteous keep moving forward and those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. Isn't that a great verse? Hmm. There have been so many discouraging and disheartening events these past few years. Religious intolerance is growing. Church scandals seem to be happening one after another. There's been so much suffering. There's so much false teaching out there. And you see it all over the internet and all over cable TV. You see false leaders. You know, they're, put, they're pushing so many books and blogs and things like that. And we can't deny the challenges that the church is facing right now. We have to be honest about it. Most of my years in ministry surveys showed that about 90% of Americans identified as Christians. Then alarm bells went off in 2010 when that number dropped down to 75%, about 13 years ago. But two years ago in 2021, self-identified Christians made up 65% of the U.S. population. That's a 10% drop in only 11 years. What's interesting about that is that the United States population, despite what you might be hearing about immigration and other things like that, the United States population has remained static on all these other religions. About 1% of Americans are Hindu, about 1% are Muslim, about 1% are Buddhist, and that has remained basically static. But what's happening? Notice the growth of the group called nuns. All right, these are not Catholics. These are not Catholic ladies, the nuns. And you're hearing these people, this group talked about. Nuns are the people who describe themselves as atheists, agnostics, or just nothing in particular. And Christians outnumbered nuns, they right now, by a ratio of two to one. But back in 2007, Christians outnumbered the nuns by five to one. And so that number is really, really shrinking. You see the delta there between the nuns and the Christians, how it's shrinking. What next? Like Jesus, there's got to be a godly grittiness to us, a grace that comes along with some grit, that kind of resolve that Jesus had. I will go today, I will go tomorrow, and I'll go every day after that. I am not going to stop. I am not going to quit. That's true for us individually. That's true for us corporately as a church. You may have an area of your life. It might be your marriage. It might be your finances. It might be your work. It might be a relationship with one of your children. You might have to say, you know what? Today, tomorrow, and every day after that, I ain't quitting. I'm not going to back down. I am not going to back off, and I am not going to back up, all right? You know, here at FCC, you know, we have a mascot. It's the turtle, okay? We don't go very fast, all right? But we're going to win that race. We really are. I have a quote from Abraham Lincoln in my calendar I love, and I was telling it to the staff the other day. But uh, here's a paraphrase. We may not go fast, but we won't go backwards, okay? And I just want you to know that about our church. That's just my art. We may not go fast, but we will not go backwards. Number three, God's will for your life is opposition. I mean, we don't like to share this. You know, Landon's up here saying, you know, I've given my life to Jesus. You know, we like to say, hey, God has a wonderful life for you right here and right now. And those kind of books sell great in Walmart, don't they? But we don't really tell people the real story when they come to know the Lord Jesus. And one of the things you're going to encounter as a follower of Jesus is opposition. You know, my younger son is on staff at First Baptist Church in Houston. I talked to him the other day, and they have multiple Christmas Eve services. I can't remember, something like four or five 
Christmas Eve services, and a large group of pro-Gaza protesters gathered at their church entrance. They had signs, they had slogans, and they were chanting. And I told Brady, I said, I said, son, I'm so sorry. I mean, here you are having a Christmas Eve service, and as people are driving into your church, there's hundreds of people there protesting your church or protesting against Israel and pro-Hamas. And I said, I'm sure that's all anybody could think about or talk about when you're in there trying to celebrate Christmas Eve. And he said, yeah, Dad, that, that was really disappointing. That was all anybody could think about. The lunacy of it is this. The people are protesting a church, a Christian community in support of Hamas, who is rabidly anti-Christian. In 2007, Hamas gained control of the Gaza Strip. There was one Christian bookstore in Gaza, in Gaza City. The Palestinians, they had let it kind of go. And there's a pretty large Christian community in the Gaza Strip. But the store got firebombed two times once Hamas took control. And the store owner received numerous death threats. Eventually, the bookstore's owner was kidnapped and killed, just like those Israelis Israelis in October. And since Hamas has taken control, the Christian population in Gaza has been cut in half. Christians are leaving in droves, trying to get away from Hamas. The environment is so hostile to Christians, and Arab Christians are treated like second-class citizens in the Gaza Strip. Look at verse 33. Jesus said, Surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. This statement would have shocked Jesus' listeners, especially the Pharisees, because Jerusalem was the pride and joy of Israel, the most religious city the world had ever known. And those who spoke for God, Jesus said, they encountered their greatest threat in Jerusalem. And Jesus knows he's going to suffer the fate of the prophets. Because like them, he is speaking the truth. And our sinful world hates to hear the truth and will do anything necessary to silence the truth. And if you speak the truth, you will encounter opposition and rejection, perhaps even violence. But somehow there's a paradox in that when the world begins to threaten you, much of the world wants to join you. It's incredible how it works, but it's the grace of God at work. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul said this, We had already been mistreated and insulted in Philippi before we came to you in Thessalonica. Even though there was much opposition, God gave us courage to tell you the good news that comes from him. And a thriving church began to blossom in the city of Thessalonica. So what next? Selfless obedience to God, no matter the cost. That's always what next in our life. Selfless obedience to God no matter the cost. The longer we walk with the Lord, we understand the fundamentals of life. God calls us to a life of submitting to his will and then doing his will in his strength as he leads. John 5.30, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. I do not seek my own, but the will of him who sent me. You know, we don't like to tell people when you come to Jesus as your savior, it's gonna cost you. But if you live a life of integrity, a life of obedience to God, there will be opposition, there will be protest, and there will be huge blessings and joy along the way. The churches that tell the truth, the people that tell the truth, get God's blessing. Number four, God's will for your life is heartache. Like, what? 
No one's ever told me that before. It's true. God's will for your life is heartache. Let me tell you what I mean. I was counseling a man one time. Uh, he was a good friend of mine. And he was having a lot of trouble with his teenage daughter. She was just really cold to him. And they'd had a little bit of a rocky relationship. And we talked about it a lot. He's like, I really don't know what to do. My teenage daughter, she won't talk to me. She won't respond to me. And he said, I'll admit, I've said a few things I shouldn't say, but I don't know that it's worth all this, you know, the trouble she's given me. And he's a good man. He loved the Lord. He loved his family. Very committed to his family. I kind of thought this would be an easy fix. I mean, his daughter was in church every Sunday. And I told him one day, we're sitting there having lunch. I said, I said, why don't you really try to appeal to her heart? Sit down with her and say, Tell her how you really feel about her. Talk about how close you were when she was a little girl and tell her how much you missed that relationship. And so we met again for lunch the following week and I asked him, I said, I said, how did it go? Man, he was just so downtrodden. And he said, I poured my heart out to her. I told her how much I loved her, that I would do anything to make it right. And I said, what did she say? Nothing. She just sat there stone cold, stone faced. And eventually it got so awkward. I just got up and left the table. And I remember this incident so well, because I just remember how heartbroken I was for this dad. The reality that his daughter didn't feel anything for him. It really shook him. Look at verse 34. Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, you killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. See, Jesus of Nazareth is God made flesh. And he is speaking here as God. And the heart of the father is breaking over a child who's apathetic and loveless toward his father. And like the father I mentioned, he passionately loves his child, but what he receives in return is apathy. You know, we often hear that verse, you know, Jesus wept, you know, at the grave of his friend Lazarus. That was not the only time that Jesus wept. Look up on the screen, Luke 19, 41. When the city of Jerusalem came into view, he wept over it on this journey that he's on. If only you had recognized this day and everything that was good for you, but now it's too late. For generations, God had been sending prophets, people to, to speak for him. And, 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 and they, they would be persecuted, they would be stoned, they would be rejected. And God even sends his beloved son. And what happens? There's apathy, and then apathy turns to anger, and finally anger turns to aggression, and he is crucified. And I just want to ask you this question. When you look at Jesus here, his heart is breaking over people who seem apathetic, perhaps even antagonistic toward him, does your heart still break for people who might even oppose you or be rejecting of you? Jesus is dead. You see, the people of God, the followers of Jesus, could rightly be called the people of the broken heart. The heart of Jesus that breaks for the lost, the rebellious, the deceived, that is the heart that beats in our chest. You know, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and it's still true for me today. Man, when I'm driving down Cedar Street at lunchtime and I'm watching those kids come across that crosswalk, man, I start praying. My heart breaks. I know it's true for John too. My heart just breaks for the young people here in our city 
And we just want so much as a church to be saying, we want to be the people of the broken heart, a heart that is breaking for the lost around us, the people who are far from God, the people who need to know Jesus as their Savior. What next? A life of following Jesus is a life of heartache as you watch the world around you as they wander away from the Lord. And I just want to ask you to think about this. I know we're living in a day and a time where there's this, there's this anger addiction and the politics of hatred are so prominent in our world right now. But is, your, is it still possible for your heart to be broken over someone who differs with you politically, socially, culturally, theologically? Does your heart still break for those people who are protesting? Isaiah 55, the Lord said through his prophet, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, Israel. My faithful love promised to David, I have made him a witness to the peoples. And surely you will summon nations that you know not. And nations you do not know will come running to you because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, has endowed you with splendor. What's that about? God was telling this nation, Israel, here's my purpose for you, to be a light, to be a beacon in this world. And instead, what do they do? They separated themselves. They cocooned themselves from the rest of the world around them inside their little kingdom. And then here was Jesus among them, David, the descendant of David, born in Bethlehem, David's hometown, obviously has God's anointing on him. And God was calling them to come close to him to a greater purpose, a grander vision for life, but they were not willing. They preferred the safety of predictability over the purposes of God. Like, no, we got it. We know what we're doing. We don't need you to guide us. We got it ourselves. Look at verse 35. Your house is left to you desolate. You know, in AD 70, about 35 years after this was spoken, the house of God, the Jewish temple was flattened by the Romans. And here we are 2,000 years later. It still has not been rebuilt. God abandoned the nation because they had lost their uh, broken heart. Their heart was no longer broken for the peoples around them. And that principle of life has never changed. It's still true today. I have another graphic I want to show you. In 2000, the median church attendance was 137, and 20 years later, it's down to 65. As you can see, the decline was not due to COVID. COVID accelerated, but it was trending down for years. And the average church attendance today is less than half of what it was back in 2000. I don't know if you know this or not, but about 4,500 churches close their doors every year, compared with 3,000 new churches opening their doors every year. But church plants, new churches, have an 80% failure rate. And that means the net loss in our country right now is about 3,500 churches a year. We're watching it in real time. And when experts come into these dead and dying churches, and they do an autopsy, so to speak, it's always the same. They say they lost their purpose. They lost their purpose. They became a religious club, like a social club or something like that. They lost their sense of mission. Or they became a place where people just came to air their political grievances and hear political messages from the pulpit, and they just lost their sense of purpose. 
There was no longer a group of people there whose heart breaks for the lost and apathy set in. They lost their way, just like those Canadian Mounties, the lost patrol. And they wander and they wander. And these churches slowly consume everything they have down to the shoelaces until there's nothing left. Mm. We were watching that happen all around us, ladies and gentlemen. And we do not want to be that church. And how do we not be that church? We have to have a heart that breaks for lost people around us. Colossians chapter 1, Paul said this, We tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. And that is why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. We cannot give small commitments to big things. It just doesn't work that way. In 2024, if we want to see God do big things, there have to be big commitments and big sacrifices. Now I want you to do me a favor. Look at verse 35. Jesus said, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Look up on the screen. Jesus quoting from Psalm chapter 118. Psalm chapter 118. And I want us to take a moment to look at this. Verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. The people, they rejected the Lord. They rejected his purpose. They rejected him as their guide. They rejected him as their guide. Yet he became the capstone. He says, the Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. I wonder today, do you, do, you, do you see that? Do you think that way? That the church is marvelous. What a marvelous thing. Thank you so much for being here today. But I mean, when you walk up, you get up on Sunday morning early and you're like, oh man, we got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. No, the church is marvelous. I mean, I got to be honest with you. I came, to the, I came into the life of the church when I was 13. It wrecked me. It wrecked me. I didn't want to do what I'm doing now. I had other plans for my life, but the church is such a marvelous thing. I couldn't bear the thought of not helping lead it and grow it and change it. It's marvelous what is happening around us. The church is marvelous. And this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What day are they talking about? You know, we sing that song. They're not talking about December 31st of 2023. They're talking about the day that Jesus died on the cross. When the, the stone the builders rejected became the capstone, that was the day that Jesus died on the cross. That is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice in that day. And may our hearts never stop rejoicing over the day that Jesus died for our sins on that cross so that we could be right with God, live out his purpose. Look at verse 25. Oh, Lord, save us and Lord, grant us success. That is my prayer. That is my prayer in 2024. Lord, Grant us success. And you can pray that for your life as well. Lord, save me. Save me from the things that are, that are chasing me down and hunting me down. You may have some things in your life that you know are going to wreck your life. Say, Lord, save me. And Lord, grant me success. But we also want to say, Lord, grant us success as a church. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and from the house of the Lord we bless you. We bless you. When churches are alive and thriving, God is glorified. God is blessed. And ladies and gentlemen, that is happening, 
I believe here at Faith Covenant Church, but we dare not ever allow those things to creep into our life where we say, what next? You know what? I've got an idea instead of, no, what's God's will for us? What would Jesus want us to do in this situation? That is where we want to go. That's the kind of people we want to be, the people who have people of courage, people who are relentless, people who face opposition, and people whose hearts break for the lost world around us. Let's pray together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask you to think about this for a moment with me, if you would. Just meditate on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I know we get so distracted by so many things. I know I do. But could we just pause for a moment this morning and say, Lord, we just bring me back around, Lord. If I've been following some other guide and I've been wandering, I've been lost and aimless, and you can say, Lord, I'm starving and I'm cold and I'm miserable. Lord Jesus, would you show me what it means to follow you, to be guided by you in a new and fresh way in the year to come? That is what we need. And I want that for myself, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to know that I do. And I want that for all of us. I want that for us as a church. And so I want to ask a couple of things. Number one, would you pray for me as the pastor of Faith Covenant Church that we would be able to follow Jesus as our guide? No matter where he leads, no matter what it costs, that we would go with Jesus And also that my heart would break for the lost world around us. And then we just take a moment. Would you just ask the Lord to do that work in your life as well? That in your own life, that Jesus would be your guide. That his will would consume your will for your life. And that your heart would break for the lost people around you. So I'll be quiet here for a minute. Let's just spend a couple of minutes with the Lord before we conclude our service today. Lord Jesus, I sort of thank you that there was that relentlessness about you. Lord, that you were relentless in pursuing us and laying your life down for us. And so we just love you today, Jesus. We just love you so much. Thank you for that. And Lord, I just ask that that same relentlessness, that same courage, that same uh, compassion and passion would be in our hearts as well. Lord, bring it to us in a new way here in this year to come. We ask this for your glory today, Jesus. Amen. Amen.